Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Cherie Curtis, Chief Executive Officer of Revillian. It's great to have you along today. I had a wonderful conversation with Cherie Curtis, who I initially met through the Australian Institute of Management, now known as the Institute of Managers and Leaders Awards in 2017. Cherie was the national winner of the 2016 AIM Leadership Excellence Awards and is a highly regarded CEO within the Australian business community. So I look forward to bringing this conversation to you, but prior to that, for those who are new to the Arate podcast, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If you have any recruitment needs in your business, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. Let me now introduce to you Cherie Curtis. As the CEO of Revillian, Cherie Curtis is a leading expert in the psychometric field and was responsible for creating and delivering the world's first game-based psychometric assessment. She has completed a Bachelor of Arts with a double major in psychology, a Bachelor of Social Science with honours, and a Master's of Organisational Psychology. As well as winning National Leader Manager of the Year Award in the 2016 AIM Executive Leadership Excellence Awards, Cherie was also a finalist of the Telstra Business Women Awards in 2016. She is also an adjunct lecturer at the University of Queensland, and with her work on game-based assessments, has won the Australasian Serious Games Congress in 2016. Cherie is an experienced speaker, making regular appearances on national radios and podcasts, whilst presenting at both national and global conferences on a regular basis. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Cherie Curtis. So, Shri, welcome to the Arate podcast on what is a very warm Brisbane day. I think 32 degrees at the beginning of October. We're in for a very hot summer. Um, perhaps just to begin with, let us know mm. about your current professional responsibilities. Mm, sure. Well, I'm currently the CEO at Revelian. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in this role for two and a half years, and we manage um, offices in Brisbane, Melbourne, and Sydney. Mm-hmm. Uh, we provide online psychometric assessments uh, for businesses to really inform their people decisions, predominantly Mm -hmm. in recruitment, Mm -hmm. but also in employee development. Okay, great. And uh, the business formerly known as One Test? That's correct, yes. We rebranded in 2014. What led to the the rebrand decision? That's a big conversation. (laughs) um, (laughs) We've got time. Yeah, look, I think One Test was a name when we started the business when we had one test. Right. So not okay. far into the journey when we had a, a second test, we outgrew the name. 
but our brand equity was strong. Mm -hmm. So we debated whether we should change that name on and off for quite some time and finally hit that point where we said, we're looking at um, further global expansion, mm -hmm. um, changing the way we're taking our products to market. We, we have to make that change now. Mm -hmm. So that change management process was, um, in hindsight, um, a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. It was an excellent decision. And now on this side, I think everyone's completely attached to the new name and the new company and the new identity. But it was an emotional change mm. because a lot of us had really built one test from the from the start. Mm -hmm. So it was a big change, but now as Revelion, yeah, it's a it's a new start, new era. Great. And what's the meaning of Revelion? It's a made up word, right. but the idea behind it is to to reveal more insight, to gain mm -hmm greater depth of knowledge and to empower decisions, which okay. is really what our tools do. Sure. And so you mentioned you've got a range of tests now. So talk us through, you know, some of the different applications. Yeah. So we, most of our assessments are ideally used in recruitment okay. and we measure different attributes of people to mm -hmm. help find best fit candidates to a position. So depending on what the organisation needs, we either look at a success profile for a role or a broader organisational uh, change like managing turnover or performance targets, then we look at the right battery for that particular client. So we measure attributes from uh, a values alignment, from an organisational and individual fit, which predicts organisational commitment, through to things like cognitive ability, predicting performance, safety, behaviour, personality, emotional intelligence, a whole range of different constructs about people mm -hmm. um, to help us find the right fit for somebody moving into a new organisation. Mm -hmm. And right from warehouse staff through to CEO? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, so and where would the predominant uh, role families come from that you're testing typically? We work across every industry. Right. Any organisation that has people needs to find the best people. Mm -hmm. So we have no restriction. Um, what we do find, though, is the types of assessments that are used in certain sectors or certain role types change. Okay. So we find with more leadership or senior positions, lots of organisations are using things like uh, cognitive ability, of course, mm -hmm. but also emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and personality or behaviour because the way someone leads matters. Uh, depending on if it's a call centre or if it's a more um, on-site job at a, at a uh, resourcing sector, you might be looking at something like work preferences or safety and reliability. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how much of your testing uh, IP is developed in-house versus acquiring it from other international providers? Yeah, about 90% is ours. Wow. So we have an internal R&D team with mm -hmm. uh, organisational psychologists and software engineers. Okay. And that's really the heart of who we are. So we have a history of innovation as an organisation and we're really the only company that offers psychometric assessment in Australia that develops our own tools here as well. So our internal team were the first company to bring online testing to Australia, mm -hmm. the first company to do online remote testing, which has a whole range of other challenges around security and standardization and internet connection. And then more recently, we were the world's first to offer the game-based assessment, okay. which has been pretty revolutionary right. for our industry. So tell us a bit about that. So we have had a wealth of research for decades demonstrating the scientific prediction of a psychometric tool, mm -hmm. how well it helps make decisions. But the method, to be frank, has been not ideal. Mm -hmm. You know, no one wants to sit a test. People can feel it's intimidating or they can feel uncomfortable. 
So we wanted to change that and have people be more comfortable in the way we were evaluating them. So we've developed a interactive psychometric test which lets people complete games and puzzles and we can evaluate them while they're doing that. Okay. Yeah, so it's a completely new method while still being scientifically reliable and valid. And yet still covers off on all your traditional verbal, numerical, abstract reasoning, etc.? That's right. Wow. So, yeah, in fact, when you're looking at predicting performance, um, there's a thing known as general cognitive functioning or general mm-hmm. cognitive ability, and that's actually a better predictor of future job performance right. than the individual ability. So these particular games measure general cognitive ability, mm-hmm. and absolutely, clients are using them now all over the globe for mm-hmm. their recruitment to find the best talent. And is that uh, global expansion being driven through... Uh, channels in individual countries or are you doing that all direct to market from here? Uh, We're doing it direct to market from a team out of Sydney as well as partners and resellers globally. Right, okay, cool. And what, give us an idea of the scope of the actual Revillian business in terms of headcount, etc.? Sure. So as an organisation, we have about 35 staff Mm -hmm. nationally. Um, Most are here in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. We also have offices in Sydney, Melbourne, um, and just this month, Canberra, which is great. Um, And our client portfolio is quite diverse. So we work with a lot of government at state and federal levels, Mm -hmm. um, as well as large enterprise clients um, across the board in every sector from mining and resourcing through to finance, through to education, um, you name it. Okay, great. Well, no doubt we'll talk a bit more about that uh, later in this conversation, but let's go back to where it all began for you and tell us about where you were born and, you know, early life, mum, dad, brothers and sisters, etc. Yeah, okay. Well, I was born in Nambour, which um, is a hot little town in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. And uh, I actually spent the first two years of my life in Papua New Guinea. Okay. My mum and dad were working up there and then after a while moved back to Brisbane. And so what sort of work were they doing in PNG? So dad was in insurance mm-hmm. and really spent his entire career working in that sector mm-hmm. um, and worked to being sort of a senior manager at, at a state level um, through finally with Zurich Insurance mm-hmm. and spent his whole career there. So my whole life was really with one organisation right. for him. And uh, I mean, PNG now is a you know it's a mm. fairly challenging place to live. There's a lot it of is, uh, yeah. issues around safety and so on. What was yeah. it like then? Look, I I can't remember being sure. so young, but yeah. from what they tell me and the photos that I see, very different. Mm. You know, a loving, um, culturally rich environment. Um, there's pictures of. Of, of me sitting in the street um, in the arms, in, in a, um, a shopping basket on the floor of this, uh, you know, dirt <clears throat> street with all the locals running around and and we were just part of the community. Mm. And um, mum and dad went back actually a few years ago on a, on a cruise and there's been a lot of volcanoes in the area mm-hmm. and their whole village where they were living is now um, under lava. Wow. Which was quite a a confronting experience. But their memories are very fond Uh and um, I think it sort of has defined them and who they Mm -hmm. are and and a lot of their worldview since that time. Right. I've been to PNG a few times and the thing that really struck me um, was if you're driving say out of Port Moresby or Ley Mm -hmm. where I was um, going uh, along a road, Mm -hmm. um, there are people like 
literally the in everywhere. Uh, it's wow. quite amazing that mm. uh, you know we're so used to everybody in Australia travelling in cars That's true. that when you're over there, and I imagine mm. other countries are the same, but mm. um, uh, literally hundreds and hundreds mm. and hundreds of people just walking along the road and. Uh, yeah, so it's a it's a very interesting place. And so, what brought them back to Australia? Um, just job opportunities. Okay. So came back and settled into Brisbane, yep. and I spent my childhood here. Brothers and uh, sisters. One sister, two uh-huh. years younger than okay. I am. Okay. Yeah. And um, very close, always have been. She's mm-hmm. at the Sunshine Coast now, right. which is lovely. Um, so we had a great childhood. In my view of the world, we had a, a picture perfect childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we were not privileged Mm -hmm. and mum and dad worked hard Um, I think they did a great job of building a world for myself and my sister that showed us the value in people and the value in experiences and not on things Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a story my parents probably kill me for sharing this but but yeah as I said my view of my childhood was picture perfect full of love and joy and and experiences and wonderful family and friends around But apparently one year they were so poor that they couldn't afford to get us Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. And they weren't sure what they were going to do. And they heard an ad on the radio that if you opened up a new bank account, you'd get a free cap. Okay. So they opened a bank account each and they got two caps and my sister and I got a cap each for Christmas. Right. Now, we had no idea that was how the caps landed in, sure. our, in our presents under the tree, but we loved those caps. We thought they were amazing and took them to school with pride mm-hmm. and were showing them off with glee. And uh, it wasn't until many, many, many years later that we, as an adult, looked back and they told those stories to us, had a different view on those types of experiences. Right. And yet your dad, through that entire period, working for Zurich? As well as, uh, so my mum worked in the, in the library at the school at okay. that time, and yeah. uh, he, dad also worked uh, a cleaning job at nights to get extra income. Right. So they worked really hard to, mm-hmm. to establish themselves. And then when I was just starting high school, we moved to the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and all my life, mum and dad have worked very, very hard. And now they're you know, very successful. They have... Um, you know, a, a property portfolio. They've both retired. They're mm-hmm. travelling all over the world, having a wonderful life. But they've earned every single piece of that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And when you were at high school, what sort of career were you imagining for yourself? You know, I really struggled in high school to have an idea of what I wanted to do, and I laboured this point. I felt like everyone around me had a clear vision of, you know, I want to be X or I want to do Y. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't. And my my dad spent a lot of time with me in high school when you have to select your subjects and then what you're going to put down for uni. Um, and he said to me, stop worrying about what you think you have to do and just write a list of what you don't want to do right. and see what's left. Yeah. And then take a step <laughs> and then get to that step and have another look and then take another <sighs> step. Um, and I think that relieved a lot of pressure from me. Mm. Uh, and I started by... First of all, I was accepted into University of Queensland um, in a Bachelor of Arts, and I took a year off after mm-hmm. school, which was awesome. Were you working through high school? Uh, yes, right. yes, I was. Yes, I was. I had all sorts of jobs at at Coles and bakeries, um, part time jobs to to get you through, sure. as you do. Yeah. And uh, and then yes, took a gap year after high school, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Just took a breath, and again, I just worked at Coles. Um, 
probably wasn't even full time at the mm-hmm. time, but enough to live on. Yeah. So I moved out of home at 17 with a girlfriend and uh, lived in a granny flat in, in Brisbane here. And yeah, had a gap year of just mm-hmm. learning about adulthood and okay. independence. And then I went back to uni the year after and did a double major in psychology mm-hmm. uh, at UQ. And it was interesting because when I, my dad asked me, what do you not want to do? Mm-hmm. The first thing I said was maths. Right. In psychology, it's all about statistics. Yeah. <laughs> so every year I had to do multiple subjects of statistics and mm-hmm. now my entire career is based on numbers sure. and data. Um, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been something I've grown into, I think, over time. It wasn't mm-hmm. a passion I sought out, but now... I live and breathe maths every single day. Mm-hmm. And then went straight on to do your master's from there? I did, um, yes. Uh, worked full-time uh, during my master's. Mm-hmm. So had a couple of different jobs there, but I was working um, I was working in a psychology clinic as a practice manager for mm-hmm. a period. Uh, I also worked in a vaccination centre as, okay. a, as a receptionist. Um, I also did some work for Zurich Insurance with some data entry work. Um, pretty much whatever I could to, to sustain myself. Mm-hmm. I've always been fiercely independent. Mm-hmm. Um, but also while I was doing my master's with two of the other girls I was doing my course with, we started our own consulting company. Okay. And that was excellent because it was a great networking opportunity. Mm-hmm. It had an opportunity for us to trial our skills and, and theory that we're all learning, but mm-hmm. also generate income at mm. the same time. And did you always think that you'd want to practice your psychology within an organisational context rather than within a, you know, a, a one-on-one practitioner point of view? Yes. Um, look, I've actually done both. So okay. I worked in the, the clinic, um, not as a direct psychologist initially, but then later in, in life I was working as a, a counselling psychologist in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved the work but it is incredibly sad. Mm. Uh, that particular job I was working with children, um, severely abused children and, and dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly sad and draining. And if you do give your all, which of course we do, then it's not something I felt I could sustain long term. Mm. So I did that for about 12 months and found it was enriching but it wasn't something that I was going to do long-term as a career. And that was pre or post completion of Masters? Post. Post, yeah, okay. post. But whilst doing your Masters, you had your consulting practice. That's right. And what sort of things were you consulting in? All sorts of things. Performance management, uh, recruitment processes, change management. Um, we reviewed training modules for organisations. Um, we looked at some of the Queensland workplace health and safety training requirements at the mm-hmm. time. So it's quite varied in terms of the types of activities, but organisational psychology is looking at how do we optimise the performance of people Mm -hmm. and the broader organisation together. Mm -hmm. So anything that relates to those two things, whether it's strategic planning, whether it's a particular process like recruitment, falls under that banner. Mm -hmm. So it was quite varied in what we were involved with. Okay. And then it sounds like after Masters there was some travel. Yeah, so uh, the typical Australian journey seems to be at some point we all want to head to Europe Mm -hmm. and all of my friends and family around me had done a backpacking stint Mm -hmm. and I'd finished my master's, our consulting business was going really well but as it was building I also realised that 
um, the more it built, the less likely I was to let go. Sure. So I just had to, you know, take that jump. And um, so we sold the business and I put on a backpack, mm -hmm. sold everything and, and went overseas. And I went with a girlfriend and we backpacked through Europe for about three or four months and settled in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Not planned, just how it worked out. And I was broke, so I had to work. Whereabouts in Ireland? <laughs> Galway. Okay. Yeah. So Galway, if anyone's been there, is a beautiful mm. town. Um, probably as many tourists as there are locals, mm -hmm. but it's an incredible energy, really strong, pure Irish spirit. Um, it's quite wonderful to be immersed. So I lived there for about six months and I worked two jobs. I was pretty, pretty broke and I knew I needed cash fast. So during the day I worked at a internet cafe and at night I waitressed and it was probably the hardest I've ever worked. Putting your qualifications to good use. Absolutely. People skills. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was tough. And I think that people in hospitality and service work the hardest. Mm. Um, we were in fine dining and um, we were not allowed to, to write down an order. We had to memorise every single person's order. And I arrived in, in race week, which is the equivalent of Melbourne Cup. Mm -hmm. And there was all groups of, you know, 10, 12 or more people. And you had to memorise every order for every person for, you know, multiple multiple um, rounds but you learnt to think quick you learnt to run fast mm -hmm. and um, it was exhilarating and exhausting all in one sure yes my uh, stint as a career in hospitality was very short-lived I definitely didn't have the stamina or the uh, the skills for it but uh, so I can appreciate exactly what you're saying and yeah. so how long were you there for only a couple months and then <clears throat> I actually met my now husband mm -hmm. who wasn't at the time planned to be a husband. I wasn't looking for a husband. You met him in Ireland. I did. Right. And he's Canadian. Yeah. So it was um, a little bit of good luck, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Scotland. And okay. while in Scotland, we actually opened a wine bar. Right. Which was a, a pretty exciting project. So there was a, a company called Great Grog, who was a wine, a Australian wine distributor, mm -hmm. taking it into the UK. So we opened a, a wine bar for them there, which was pretty amazing. Got that up and running and, and left. And uh, he went back to Canada and I moved to England and, and met a girlfriend there. Then I did another bit of um, uh, hotel management, I suppose, and, and looked at a hotel on the Thames there and worked in the restaurant for another few months before I finally was a bit restless. Mm. Um, so then I moved to Canada and that's where I got the job as the counselling psychologist mm -hmm. and I was there for about 12 months. And while I was in Canada, um, One Test approached me. Okay. So I had actually worked with One Test uh, back during my masters mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd worked here for about 12 months at the time. And I'd started as a volunteer so as part of your master's program, you need to accumulate a certain mm -hmm. number of professional um, work experience hours. And how old was One Test as a business then? In its absolute infancy. Mm. So it started in 99, and I think I started here at the end of 99. So mm -hmm. I was probably employee number, goodness me, three or four at mm -hmm. the time, very, very early days. And uh, so I was with, with the business for about 12 months as a, um, I did the work experience piece and then they employed me for the remainder of that period of time and then I left and went overseas and when I was in Canada they approached me and said look our, our senior psychologist is moving on mm -hmm. uh, would you like to come back mm -hmm. and 
it worked out that, that I did. Mm-hmm. So in 2003, I returned and um, have been with the business ever since. Right. And so what I'm interested in is uh, at a very, very young age, you had this entrepreneurial spirit. You started mm. your consulting practice. Yeah. You started a wine bar. You did yes. all of these things. So, um, and then when you came back into one test, you obviously came back in as an employee. Yeah. So that experience of being master of your own destiny, how did that shape your view as to what it would mean to come back into not really a corporate environment, but, you know, a professional environment like this? Look, I think it had, the fit was so good at the time, um, predominantly due to to Stephen Dahl, the founder, mm-hmm. who was an absolute entrepreneur, um, but he, he runs at a fast pace and, and creates an energy that is infectious in mm-hmm. a positive way. So he empowered myself and many of the other senior leaders to run it like an us business, like we all owned it. Mm-hmm. So... Anything that I do now, I think it's just part of who I am. I, I treat it as though it is mine, as in my effort, my contribution um, has a direct line of sight to an outcome. So when we were working on this early days of one test as an organisation, we were shaping this as, as a group mm-hmm. and driving it pretty pretty hard. And I loved every bit of that. I loved mm-hmm. the challenge. I loved the opportunity to have diversity of task and get your hands dirty on on areas of the business you wouldn't necessarily get in a larger business. So over the next, you know, at least decade with the company, um, I held a number of roles Mm -hmm. and most of those were opportunistic when the business had a need. So I moved into the head of psychology role pretty quickly and we built that team up to have both a consulting arm of psychologists and a research and development arm. But there was times when I also, in addition to that remit, took on the management of our client rem- uh, client relationship managers, so mm-hmm. our account management sales team. Um, I also took on our call centre and I also took on our marketing department at mm-hmm. another time. So I had an opportunity to manage very diverse teams, skills that I didn't know that I had, um, which I think were shaping me without me knowing it at the time for the role I have today. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're... Uh, professional training was as a psychologist but you're now in a leadership role you're now looking after sales and marketing and a whole heap of Mm. uh, uh, functionality that you hadn't worked um, or Mm. or gained um, formal qualifications in Mm. how did you uh, ensure that you were upskilling yourself Mm. along the way to handle each of those new challenges well look that's a good question and I think it's multifaceted in the way I've addressed it. Um, One is give it a try. You've Mm -hmm. got to run hard and fast and learn from your mistakes. Um, That's that's paramount. Mm -hmm. But also you have to still seek formal education and support. You can't be rogue. (laughs) You need to know what you're doing. So of course I've done an extensive range of um, training and courses and and reading and and learning along the way. In fact, um, as a member of the Australian Psychological Society, it's core that I have ongoing professional mm-hmm. um, learning and development on a constant basis, mm-hmm. as well as I'm a member of AICD and a whole m- number of other institutes where that professional investment is just a given. That's mm-hmm. how we evolve. And we have to have competencies that are demonstrated. So for me, it's about... If there was an area that I was not um, confident in, then that's where I focused. Um, my, my motto in life is seek the stretch. I like to know those places that 
are going to just push me out of my comfort zone, not so far that I am um, incompetent, mm. but enough that it's inspiring me, the adrenaline's running, and I'm learning something new. If I feel myself getting comfortable at any part of my personal and professional life, um, that's a flag for mm -hmm. me that I need to do something different. Okay. And so prior to the point at which you were offered the CEO role, mm. um, I mean, you've been here about 15 years, correct? Yeah. So that, that was about 12 years mm. or so. But in that 12-year period, what were some of the key milestones in terms of ah. the growth of the business? Yeah, there was so many. Um, from when we went uh, from just this office here to having an established office in Melbourne to having an established office in, in Sydney and now Canberra, but also milestones from a, a product perspective, um, client perspective. Um, when we evolved our product range, adding new assessments, each phase was quite profound for us as a business, but also the broader industry, and mm -hmm. very often was led by us reading trends or a client um, prompting a need. So for example, um, two milestones that I remember pretty clearly was uh, when we first had Coles Meyer mm -hmm. as, a, as a client. And um, for us as an organization, we were a fairly small team and we went overnight to now servicing a client who was testing more than a thousand people a day. Right. It was huge. Um, more than a thousand a day. Correct. Wow. Yeah, 14 brands um, and a thousand people a day. So it was huge. And we did all that without putting on a single additional headcount mm -hmm. and no changes to our expense line. So mm. it was phenomenal how we were able to do that. All about innovation and technology. Mm -hmm. So that was a great client milestone for us um, to win that as a small Australian company against the big international mm. competitors was also huge but also for us it led to two other products so working with that client they started to say to us we would like to be able to evaluate how safe someone is before we bring them into our organization well we said well we can do that so we partnered with them and created a new product mm -hmm. we did the same in terms of integrity so they said we are losing so much in terms of shrinkage mm -hmm. and the cost of sick leave and a whole range of other counterproductive behaviours, mm -hmm. surely there's a way we can we can identify those risks earlier too. And of course we said, yes, we can. So we developed another product in partnership with them. So when you're developing a product like that, mm. are you looking outward to the globe to see who else has been working in that yeah. space already? Or Because I can, I can only imagine that developing something like that must mm. be incredibly challenging to, mm. to start to think about, well, how can we actually get a true representation of what somebody, you know, their ethics and their... Mm. Uh, their uh, approach to safety etc yeah absolutely so when we have identified a need that we need a product to measure a particular construct the first thing we do is a very thorough market evaluation mm -hmm. what's already out there and that evolves to a point where we make a call we're either going to um, resell or build mm -hmm. one example of where we have identified a partnership opportunity and not built was um, the mesquite on emotional intelligence. So when we looked at the market, there was a great tool in the market right now that was a strong brand, excellent scientific predictive power, and we just thought, we're not gonna compete with that, we're going to actually resell that into the Australian market. Mm. So we did. But on other areas like safety, for example, it was clearly not a tool that was evaluating it appropriately in that context. So that's when we said we'll build our own. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where would you even start to yeah. consider we need to create this entire new tool mm -hmm. um, 
I'm, I'm fascinated. How, how, do, how do you even start that process? Yeah, so I suppose that's one of the core methodologies we're taught in organisational psychology mm-hmm. is not only what a psychometric tool is and how you apply it, but how do you build one? Mm-hmm. And you have to start with an on-job metric. So what are you trying to predict? So in the safety context, it's actually quite uh, transparent and easy to measure the data. So we're trying to look at what attributes about a person influences whether they're likely to have a an LTI and MTI, a lost time or a medical time injury. Um, what relates to sick leave or workers' compensation claim costs? What data do we have around that construct that relates to safety? Mm-hmm. Then what questions can we... Or what are the um, factors that influence those? So, for mm-hmm. example, if we're talking about safety, we know things like um, stress management, mm-hmm. uh, locus of control, attitude, attitudes towards violence, attitudes towards drug and alcohol, mm-hmm. all affect safety behaviour. Mm-hmm. So when we have those core factors and we develop that from research and evaluation in the area, in the topic, we then come back and write out questions and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions on each of those factors and Mm. we test people. Mm. And we look at how does how, the way someone answers a particular question, does that have a relationship statistically with this safety metric? Mm -hmm. So we get real safety metric from employees Mm -hmm. and we ask those same employees these same questions. And we basically prove it scientifically that there's a relationship. And we distill down that set of questions until we get that final purest set of questions that maximises the predictive power on that construct. That could be anywhere from 20 questions to 150 questions, Mm -hmm. depending on what it is we're evaluating. And at that point, we have a test. And we have to be able to prove that, for example, on our safety assessment, if someone is scoring... um, poorly on our safety assessment, they are more likely to have a safety incident in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And from initial inquiry, have you got a tool that can, you know, uh, allow us to better determine somebody's attitude to safety to, here's the tool, how long was that, how long did it take you to To develop develop a test and, and bring to market? Yeah, so a traditional psychometric assessment, and, and we've been developing them for, you know, 18 years now, um, takes anywhere between 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and it's not just about that assessment. It's about the technology in which it's delivered. Mm-hmm. It's about the full candidate experience and the reporting. Um, there's a whole range of implementation considerations that actually influence the effectiveness of that one test as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually gives me a nice segue to the game-based assessments that we developed more recently. Not only are they a material enhancement to a traditional test, but the way we develop that here as, as that world first is something I'm quite proud of. Sure. So a few years ago, when I was actually in the head of psychology role, we said to the team, we're not developing another traditional psych test. Mm-hmm. We're only going to build a game-based assessment from now on. And we had a a compelling event in the future that was six months away and I said we need a game-based assessment of cognitive ability within six months. And the team clearly said, no way. Mm. You know, a traditional test takes 12 to 18 months and a game-based assessment is about 100 times complex. No one's ever done it globally and you're asking us to do it in about a third of the time. And I said, yeah, I think we can. Because you wanted to deliver at a particular... Uh, event or that was right right, okay yeah so we had an event um in particular we were looking at the 
graduate recruitment cycle for Australia. It starts at a certain period each year, okay. and we wanted to have it ready for that cycle. Mm -hmm. So we sat down with the team and we, we just talked about, well, what did the outcome need to be? What did this product need to be? What skills did we have in the team? What experience had we already had? What were the knowns and what were the unknowns on this? And you know, for me, pretty importantly, was my belief in their ability to do that. And not only did they do that and create the world's first game-based assessment, they actually did it in five months, mm -hmm. which was awesome. Since going to market, um, we tested the appetite and everybody has been extremely enthusiastic about this new method of evaluating people. We've now had independent validation studies done by both um, some US universities as well as um, one of the world's leading global technology companies to confirm that not only does it measure cognitive ability as well as a traditional test, it in fact predicts performance better. Mm -hmm. So we have now created a bit of a positive disruption globally to the assessment sector and game-based assessments is the way forward. Fantastic. And in terms of protecting the IP, mm. games I can imagine is a little easier to protect that IP because mm. of the, what it is, but um, a more traditional test, yeah. how easy is it for you to protect that yeah. and patent that so that other um, users can't simply take what you've done and replicate it themselves? Yeah. Look, the process itself of validating it is a barrier to entry. You mm -hmm. have to know how to do it. Um, you have to have the skills to do it and the time and money. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about the IP security, you can't really patent a psychometric test. That's not unique enough. Mm -hmm. um, but things like game-based assessments is, is new and different. Um, a traditional assessment, when you're talking about IP, it's a lot about the candidate experience, to be honest. It's a okay. lot about how do you look at how much is exposed. We have to make sure in a traditional assessment that every single candidate has an equal or a standardised experience but yet they see different questions mm -hmm. because that controls our and limits the, the risk to our IP. Mm -hmm. um, but from a fairness and equity perspective, they need to be exactly the same. So there's a lot of work that goes into those statistics to the bank of items that we have within a traditional assessment. For example, though, when we look at a traditional tool, we might have, say, 50 questions. We build up a bank of cloned or equivalent items so that every candidate only gets 50, but they get a unique 50 set. Mm -hmm. In a game-based experience, we now, so in a traditional one, we get 50 points of data per candidate to evaluate whatever it is we're measuring. In a game-based experience, we're now getting more than 10,000 data points per candidate. And it's not only about there's one right answer, there could mm -hmm. be multiple right answers to a question, mm -hmm. but also there's other data points like their strategy, their accuracy, how many clicks did they have, that now we can start to interpret mm. to predict their future job behaviour. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mm. And so let's talk now about uh, you stepping into the role of CEO yeah. uh, about two and a half years ago. So what led to that? That is an interesting story. So we um, did have another CEO at the time and um, his, his contract had, had finished. And I had never considered being a CEO at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, that particular prior CEO had sat down and talked about my career path and had suggested that I think about CEO opportunities. And I had said to him quite comfortably, I'm an organisational psychologist. I love what I do. I love my profession. I'm staying on that path. Mm. I don't have any aspirations to do anything else. And um, 
Anyway, one day the board was having a meeting just in this room and they called me in and they asked me to become the CEO. It was very mm -hmm. unexpected. Um, I had no idea that was coming and um, they said, can you start tomorrow? Wow. So I said, can I phone a friend, <laughs> please? <laughs> Let me just speak to I my bet, husband first. I better just do the psychometric testing to make sure I'm up for the job. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Except I'd written them, so right. that wasn't very helpful in that circumstance. But, um, yeah, so I had, I had no warning. I had right. no prep time. I had no aspirations for mm. this. But I think that's the best way it could have happened because mm. I have a, I think we all have a nature to over to, to wait too long until mm. we're over ready. And this didn't give me that. This gave me an opportunity to either jump in or, or lose an opportunity. Mm. So I came back and said, yep, I'll, I'll do it, but I would like to have a bit of a safety net and mm -hmm. ask that we do it as an acting position for, for three months for both parties so mm -hmm. that um, if this isn't right for me or right for you, I appreciate your faith in me, but mm -hmm. if it's not right, then we've got a comfortable out. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that and I think I knew about a month in right. that I wasn't wanting to ever go back. Sure. I loved it. Oh, good. And so uh, obviously the board had a lot of history of being able to yeah. watch your performance and mm. there were lots of things that no doubt you demonstrated that gave them the confidence mm. but within your own mind yeah. uh, thinking wow I'm going to become a CEO now mm. I imagine you would have done some kind of inventory of your own skills indeed where were the areas that you went wow if I'm going to really make mm. a fist of this I'm going mm. to have to uh, upskill in particular areas yeah look that's a good question I think initially it was um, it was probably thinking about the things that I was comfortable with was was the business, the people, mm -hmm. the product, the market, um, everything operationally I was very comfortable with. Even, you know, strategically talking with the board, very comfortable. Mm -hmm. It was more external conversations, I think. It was more about those private moments when you feel like you're playing grown-ups. You know, am I going to be able to talk with other CEOs and, and other... Um, networks and feel as though I'm authentic mm -hmm. in this space. That was the piece. And I thought, well, the best way to figure that out is to make sure that I am feeling comfortable, that I can benchmark myself. So I went out and got a, got a mentor mm -hmm. uh, and talked very frankly about strengths, limitations, challenges on a daily basis to get some guidance um, in, a, in a confidential, free way. Mm -hmm. I also started spending a lot more time with peers of um, that level. So either entrepreneurs, CEOs, um, directors. Um, I went and joined a um, volunteer director position on a on a uh, not for profit. Not for profit. Yeah. To really get an opportunity to again test my mm -hmm. my skills and mm -hmm. my confidence. Um, we did the AICD course, of course, uh, again, um, and I just wanted to test the waters as to how competent mm -hmm. I was. Really. Okay. So let me ask you a few questions around that. So firstly. You found a mentor. Yes. Was that somebody already in, you know, your circle of influence, or did you specifically go out to seek a mentor with mm. a particular skills and attributes? Uh, I particularly went out to find a mentor with skills and attributes that I felt I could learn from. Yeah. So I talked to all my network about what that criteria was mm -hmm. on what I was looking for in somebody, and it ended up being somebody who uh, my chairman knew, which was excellent. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a, a uh, female CEO who had uh, since retired uh, in the last three months from a very accomplished career. 
um, had worked uh, in Brisbane and had really she'd worked on a very large a series of very large organizations mm-hmm. during her, her tenure um, and I felt confident would be mature enough to be frank with me mm-hmm. be experienced enough for me to learn from mm-hmm. and it's not just about the role um, being a female in this role has a unique set of challenges I'm still a mum mm. I'm still a wife and and I half jokingly say to some people that all those things that happen at home I still have to do I've got two jobs in full and I know many male CEOs who don't have working partners um, and have a different headspace in mm. terms of their balance I know many male and female CEOs who do absolutely have working partners as well but for me that was something specific that I wanted to have a mentor who had raised a family while being a CEO and could tell me it was doable that I could juggle all those things and still feel as though I wasn't compromising too much. Mm-hmm. So that was important to me. And was that an ongoing relationship? Is that something that continues now? Yes, yeah. With the same person? It is, Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And then secondly, you wanted to network, network more with your peers. Yes. Was that within a formal context, a CEO Institute tech type environment, or was it a more casual thing? Both. Okay. Um, so things like... Um, Oh, it's a variety of things. Absolutely, like the Institute of Managers and Leaders has been excellent there mm-hmm. for networking, creating new relationships, mm-hmm. um, just attending events, forming new, fresh uh, discussions uh, that tend to create a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in terms of things that might stretch my um, standard network. So for me, the Telstra Business, uh, Telstra Women's Awards have been, Business Women's Awards have been amazing because they're mixing with Phenomenal women that are in completely different sectors doing completely unique things, Mm -hmm. facing different challenges. But I learned so much from being in that community. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really, really supportive. So it was 2015, finalist. And then 2016, winner of Owner Entrepreneur, National Leader of the Year, AIM, now IML, Institute of Management Leaders. So tremendous... um, uh, accolade, uh, a reflection of you know mm. not only uh, your ability to um, you know truly grasp and make a mm. success of this role, mm. but it sounds to me from what you're talking about, it's not enough to just be a good CEO here. It's the no. balance of being a director and a, a mum and yeah. you know all of those sort of things. So yeah. and so we if we look now to the future, mm. you know you've been here for 15 years, mm. you've been a CEO for two and a half years. Um, where are you excited about taking uh, Revillian to? I was about to say one test. Uh, and also, where are you excited about taking your own career to? Yeah, look, I am very excited about where we are at the moment. Um, the business now is in the best shape it's been um, ever and materially different from the last five years, mm-hmm. which is um, something I'm really proud of with our senior team, how we've been able to to do some marked turnarounds in mm-hmm. the last last couple of years. The big horizon for us as an organisation is uh, product and market. So looking at a whole range of new gamified assessments, um, looking at um, enhancing the ones that we have and looking at new constructs, but also global expansion. Mm-hmm. So since coming to market with the game-based assessments, we've had an unprecedented amount of unsolicited inbound inquiries. Competitors, 
multinationals, uh, um, research partners wanting to understand what we're doing and how we've done it. Mm -hmm. And that has opened up a market for us um, faster than we had anticipated. So last year was our learning year. So really managing those uh, reactionary feedback um, mm -hmm. and leads that came in. This year, we've got a global outbound initiative that is pushing pretty hard offshore. Mm -hmm. So for us, we've got very clear KPIs and targets on global expansion from here. And um, we're excited to see where that'll take us. And where do you see the logical uh, first country or countries that you want to take the yeah. business into? So we're currently uh, already delivering in 25 countries mm -hmm. globally. Um, the US market is by far the biggest um, market for us to approach first. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the multinational companies will have an internal assessment team dedicated to this type of area. So when we're talking to them, they understand our language. They know what they want. They understand the value of a psychometric tool and they're using it consistently across every hire that they make. So we're talking to some pretty well-renowned brands globally today mm -hmm. um, about their global recruitment strategies and mm -hmm. how we can support that. Um, they all want a gamified assessment tool as part of their offering. It mm -hmm. helps their brand, it helps attract the right talent and enhance the candidate experience. And uh, that's what we're offering. Okay. And uh, what about your own career? Yeah, that's something I, I actually reflect on a lot and I don't have a strong direction. I probably am not that different to when I was in high school mm -hmm. and my dad was saying to me, stop worrying about that. Um, I've been so blessed throughout my life to have opportunities present um, that I have influenced, of course, by my effort and contribution, but, but they do present and I have a choice whether I take them or I don't. Mm -hmm. Right now, my focus is on this business and I want to optimise it to its potential that I see and believe. Um, and that's my short-term focus, 100%. Beyond that, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see, um, and I'm excited about what might be ahead. And you mentioned uh, you joined a not-for-profit board. Yeah. Are you still on that board? I am not. I okay. did hit a point where it was um, a lot to juggle. Yep. Um, so I've taken a pause now. I think I'm probably coming back into that window of time where mm -hmm. I could look at another okay. opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, now, a big part of this podcast is for... Uh, people who are aspiring CEOs or yeah. senior executives to listen to those who have walked the path before them and uh, and learn uh, some wisdom and perhaps yeah. some practical tools and tricks or sure. tips. I mean, you've talked a lot about some of the things that underpin your success, mm. um, your parents' work ethic and, mm. you know, your entrepreneurialism and mm. uh, your ability to take risks in terms of, mm. you know, jumping into the CEO role, mm. etc. But, you know, what if you had to distill some of your key learnings mm. other than that, you know, what would you say? People matter. Mm -hmm. People and your team are number one. Clients are critical, but your people. I cannot stress that enough. Um, I think that's part of who I am as a person and obviously my training in mm -hmm. organisational psychology. Um, having the right skills, having the right culture is so fundamental to your success. I truly believe that how we experience work directly relates to our opportunity to perform. Mm -hmm. So for me, I hold a personal relationship with every single person that is in this business and I know what's important to them in their world and I have to hold a unique relationship with each of them. I don't manage or lead any two the same way. They require something different of me. So 
I value getting to know them. I value understanding what's going to inspire them. I need to know what their long-term career paths are, short-term goals. What are their challenges? And I need to listen. So uh, one of the, we, we've done so many new initiatives in this business to create greater conversation within the business because I believe our people have all the answers and mm. together we can solve anything. It's just a matter of being clear on what we're trying to achieve and creating the right environment. And we, we can, we can create anything we need to mm-hmm. solve any problem. So we have a number of forums around that. One of the things I do every quarter is just a, a CEO Q&A. Mm-hmm. And I bring a sandwich, I sit in this room, uh, put it on the conference line for the other states, and anybody can come and ask me any question about anything at all. And I will tell them as honestly and as truthfully as I can. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really powerful, insightful discussions, mm-hmm. which has been pretty important. And I mentioned from time to time some sticky questions as of well. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're the ones I look forward to. Right. Because I want to know what really people are concerned about mm. or people are motivated by. So mm. I feel relieved when they ask. It's when they don't that I'm concerned. If mm. everything's shiny, but you can get a sense it's not, that's mm. when I've got mm. got concerns. So for me, those difficult questions or those difficult times is when you build trust and trust with your people is paramount to success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, we've spoken a lot about business today, but one of the things I'd like to finish with is, you know, what do you get up to when you're not at work? What's, uh, <laughs> what's the weekends and holidays look like? I love to travel. Mm. I always have to have something ahead of me that I'm planning and looking forward to. For me, it's not just the, the trip, it's, it's the anticipation, mm-hmm. the planning. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love my, my social and family networks. Um, I have a book club that I okay. have been involved with for, we've just had our 10 year anniversary. Wow, which that's is a quite, lot of books. It's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. Every six weeks we meet and we read a book or, uh-huh. or now listen to a book. Right. And um, this network of women that I've shared life's journey with is, right. is so much more than a book club. So it's all women? All women. Reading uh, books that are particularly uh, oriented towards, you know, fiction for women or all kinds Absolutely of things? Absolutely anything. Right. So it, uh, it was initiated firstly at 10 years ago when a girlfriend, I was, talk- I was coming back from a flight in the back of a cab and I was talking to a girlfriend on the phone and we both said oh we should get together yeah we should get together and we hung up the phone and then she rang me right back and she ripped into me (laughs) and she just said we always say that and we don't we are supposed to be so important in each other's Mm. lives and our lives are slipping past Mm. and we are not connecting the way we need to connect and I happened to be reading a book at the time about a book club right and I wasn't really a book club kind of person, mm-hmm. I thought, but I said in the fly, let's start a book club. It gives us a commitment that we'll see each other every couple of weeks. And that's what started it. Okay. Is Audible cheating? No. It's it not. totally counts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's really about an opportunity to come together <coughs> and discuss topics. Right. So we read all sorts of okay. books in every genre. What's the best one in, say, the last 12 months? Ooh, one of my favourites of all time is Pillars of the Earth. Okay. I absolutely loved that. Um, we've just finished reading Big Little Lies, which was great, a bit about domestic violence. Um, and the books are brilliant, but mm. the best part is the conversation. Right. Unpacking those topics and hearing views. And we've had some, some, some tears. We've had contention. We've had wonderful warm moments we've had every element you can imagine so it's been quite a journey i was in a book club once because i love reading books and i joined a book club 
and I think it was about 10 women and a couple of guys and it, the books were very Jody Picoult and you know these kind of things and after about the 10th book it was like can we please read a book where somebody gets punched in the face <laughs> or something blows up I just need a bit of uh, so uh, that, that was the end of it yeah. for me and where's the next holiday uh, China. Wow. Yeah, going in January. It'll have be you freezing. been before? I have not. Right. So I'm quite keen to go and see you. Yeah, yeah, I went to China for my executive MBA. We Great. went to, and we went in January, oh, and good. it is freezing. <laughs> and uh, will you be going to the Great Wall? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I've travelled a lot. It's the mm. most impressive structure wow. I've ever seen in my life. Mm. But uh, up on the wall, minus 17 degrees, thermals, jeans, shirt. Jacket, Parker, beanie, still freezing. So uh, pack well. But uh, you'll love it. Oh, that's excellent. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today. Before we finish up, anything that you wanted to add that we haven't discussed already? No, thank you for the time. It's been a nice time to reflect and just discuss something I don't usually do every day. So thank you. Wonderful. Well, have a fantastic afternoon. You too. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cherie. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.